It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Yahoo! Ooh, my microphone is hot. Um, this week with special guest star, Mr. Tony Van Veen. <laughs> Hello, Michael. It's Hello. actually your watch is off. It's actually 7 o'clock on a Monday. That's right, for you. <laughs> but I'm in California where all the cool stuff starts and then works its way to the East Coast. It's, um, it's, getting, it's getting, starting to get dark here right now in uh, Havertown, Pennsylvania. Wow. And all of a sudden, your video just got glitchy. We've been online talking to each other with no glitchiness or pixelation. And as soon as we go live, you're starting to uh, 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 a little bit. But whatever. Uh, what to do? I hope they are seeing us. And let me double check. Nobody's saying hello to us. There we are. Yeah, we are live. All right. Um, anyway, um, I am very excited to have Tony on the show. He's one of my favorite guests because I don't have to work very hard. He's got a deep, deep well of just great tips. As I said in the email that went out, you know, there are a lot of CEOs that are kind of like, up here on a, a pedestal and uh, then there are those who've been there done it and aren't afraid to get their hands and feet dirty tony's got dirty feet and hands what can i say he's been down in the trenches and let's not make fun of him or anything but for you know he's a drummer um played a lot of live instead gigs of, instead of yeah instead of up there i'm like down here yeah scoot to your right a little bit you were going out of frame there <laughs> like all right there you go perfect um, anyway, uh, so Tony has, he, he's one of the best musician success and industry tip givers that I've ever met. He's also one of only two people I've ever moder let moderate a panel or asked to moderate, not let, but asked him to moderate a panel at the road rally. So I trust him a lot. Not only are we old dear friends, but, uh, our, our brains get attracted to the same kind of information. And I know that if I turn him loose on stage at the rally, that he's going to make sure the audience walks out of the room having learned something. So thank you for that. Um, this year for the rally, he's going to join us online for one of the sequels, which will be held on November 6th, 7th, and 8th after the in-person road rally has ended. Um, Disc Makers will again be a sponsor of the Road Rally, and they're going to do a giveaway package at the Road Rally. We're going to have a like tabletop display with a QR code on it, so you can just walk by, zap the code, and you'll be entered into the contest. Uh, you guys giving away vinyl or something this year? You know, we're 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 debating it, but vinyl's been so hot and so popular, so uh, you know. If anybody here listening uh, and watching us now is interested in winning some vinyl, let's do a quick poll. What you'd yeah. rather win, CDs or vinyl? Just type it in the chat and we'll... Uh, right, type we'll in, win. literally type in CD or vinyl. What would you rather win a package of? It'll take a little bit because there's a little delay yeah. before we get an answer. Sure. Uh, yeah, I remember you telling me that vinyl has just gone crazy lately and it makes sense. But my question to Tony was, why not that many people still have turntables but they collect the vinyl and they love the album cover they love the the physical nature of it and the fact that they're credit look at this everybody's saying vinyl 
We've had a couple of CDs. Virtually everybody else is saying vinyl. You know, it's the vinyl story is so incredibly improbable, right? Yeah. Think about it. The hottest growth technology today is 70 years old in the music business, right? Yeah. It's 70 years old. <laughs> um, it's grown faster than streaming. Uh, and I've been looking at vinyl for, I don't know, 15 years now. I'm like, this is not going to last. This growth is not going to keep happening. And every year, 35%, 35%, 35% compounded. Uh, so I think 41 million records were sold last year. Uh, it's a lot of records. But, wow. And, That's and, shocking. You know, Lily, my, my son uh, works and lives in Brooklyn, and he was looking for an apartment a few months ago. And my wife and I were going to be in New York. And we're like, oh, you've got some apartment you know, visits lined up, we'll go with you. And we looked at like four or five apartments with him, every single one. Now, this is Brooklyn, right? Yeah. right? But every single apartment had a turntable and a record collection. And and why? Now, those people probably listened to it. But yeah. I, I've, I've seen this stat recently that half the people who bought a record last year don't have a turntable. What's up with that? Right? Well, like you now, said, some of those people probably bought them as gift, right, for somebody else who has a turntable. But beyond that, it's like people vinyl. I, I, I think most people who own vinyl just listen to the music on Spotify, right? They just have it because they like the album cover and they like looking at it. But you know, vinyl has become kind of a it's become a social thing. You have some friends over. And it's the whole ritual, right? Take the yeah. record out, drop, put it on the turntable carefully, drop the stylus. Um, I'm looking so, for my uh, little dust brush that I've got near, but exactly, my turntable is about 18 exactly. inches so, from it, my hand. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, that that old analog thing, it may, may be just kind of the pendulum swinging in the other direction after too much digital in the music business. I, I don't know. Um, but, but we do have, so I've been working really hard on making our final program attractive to independent artists because the independent artists over the past 15 years where there was such a shortage of capacity in the industry independent artists have basically been getting crowded out of the vinyl market by the record labels and now there's been a lot of capacity added in the industry and um we've we've literally cut over the past three months We've cut our price for vinyl in half. Um, and did you guys still have the the stampers and stuff left over from back when you used to do vinyl before CD, or did you have to go out and buy new machinery? No, no. We I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. We actually uh, we have a, a, a small plant locally that we work with very closely. Uh, so they're they're our vinyl partner. Gotcha. Um, and. Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, I know artists love vinyl, but artists don't know how much vinyl they'll sell. So our vinyl packages start at 100 units. And we just, as I mentioned, we dropped our price. 100 units start at $999, which is the lowest that I've been able to find online. Um, and it's been getting a really good response. I think our, our vinyl orders have tripled in the last three months. That's great. 
Um, my wife bought me a, a nice Technics turntable for my 65th birthday, not knowing that she bought 65? me 65. You're 65. I'm actually older than that now, but several years ago for my 65th birthday, she got me a turntable and it was the exact same Techniques turntable I had back in the day. So I was very happy to get that one again. It was kind of a, a mid-level. It's not like a thousand dollar, you know, super duper one, which frankly, I'd be afraid to touch anyway. And coincidentally, many years ago, when I got divorced, like 35, 40 years ago, my vinyl collection ended up living in the basement of my best friend's house in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And uh, about three years ago, uh, right around the time I got that turntable, uh, my best friend from back then had passed away sadly and uh, his ex-wife who was still friendly with him sent me about a foot locker of my vinyl that was sitting in their basement and one of those was my original mono Beatles first album that came out wow. in 1964 in America in almost pristine shape mm. so uh yeah, I immediately put that on. And I've got to say, Jeff Emmerich, the Beatles engineer who I uh, had on stage at the Road Rally years ago, said, anytime you go to buy old vintage Beatles, always buy the mono. It sounds better. Sadly, Jeff has passed away now, but I would argue that with him. <laughs> it doesn't, I love mono stuff, but that record didn't sound that great to me. Then again, who knows? You know, it's all in a matter of taste. Exactly. There's an interesting one. I, I, I know the people who came here are probably not here to hear, listen. listen <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, you know, when Michael and I get together, we never know which direction the conversation <laughs> end up going. Uh, but the, the audiophile argument about vinyl sounds better because of the analog warmth etc and you you'll get this and i think most of our viewers will as well it's a moot argument because all the vinyl that's being pressed today is recorded digitally right and so right so so there is there is no analog at the at the birth of the recording so all that analog warmth yes the open reel recording is part of that whole analog right you go for you have you want analog warmth, start on open reel, then, you know, you cut your lacquers, you make your stampers and you press your record analog. Today's recordings, they all start digitally. So uh, it, it's now not to say that there's no vinyl that's recorded analog. There are some audiophile jazz labels, et cetera, that, that, that do that. Uh, but for independent artists in general, it, it all starts digitally and it's, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Is is it a novelty? It's a, it's a, it's a you're product. paying to get clicks and pops basically because <laughs> you're right. I don't know if the vinyl adds any warmth to a thing that starts out digital. It's a it's a product that the market has shown to want though, and and uh, and as such, as an artist, if you're looking to drive any revenue from your music, you got to sell something nowadays, right? Spotify does not pay enough in. in per stream royalty at, you know, three tenths of a penny uh, to to make any any money and pay any bills as an artist. So you need to sell something, something, concert tickets, records, CDs, T-shirts uh, in order to drive some income from, from music. 
I'm amazed by how many of our taxi members that are in their like late 40s up to like 70 something are still gigging where they've got like a, a regular gig where once a week they play at a restaurant. Uh, I remember one of our members used to play on a train in Canada, uh, you know, like one of those three day long train rides and he was the guy in the bar every night. So I'm really proud of those guys. I'm sure that they got murdered during uh, COVID that, you know, they couldn't play gigs, but how cool is that to be, you know, in the back half of your life and still playing gigs that's awesome. Dude, I, I hear from artists. I hear from, you know, when I, every Saturday I, I do this uh, YouTube, short YouTube video that, that, that we post on the Dismakers YouTube channel. I watch them. With tips and advice. Thank you. And like, I will, I will get comments and I will get emails from, from artists. And it's, it's, it's happened multiple times that there's artists in their eighties. They tell me, yeah, I'm 83. And I, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? Or uh, how do I make more money from my music? I'm like, God bless you, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes they're like really, they're really still hoping, they're 60s, 70s, they're really hoping to like make it somehow. I'm like, you know, enjoy it, right? At this stage, enjoy it. Um, you're really fortunate to be able to play music, make music, perform music. And, uh, you know, they, I'm sorry to say, uh, the radios and the music industry is not looking for the next 78-year-old pop star. No, but you know who is, is the sync world. Um, yeah. we, we have had a 25-year relationship with the largest publisher of authentically vintage music from literally as far back as the 30s up until now the 90s is considered vintage. <clears throat> they won't sign anything unless they can absolutely verify the authenticity of the date being claimed for copyright in the master recording. They go through a lot of painful steps to get there, but everybody in the industry who licenses vintage music knows about them, and we are their single biggest resource to find acts, because it's hard to just put the word out, you know, looking, and a lot of the people who have vintage music don't have um, the proper paperwork, like, uh, what am I, oh God, uh, work for higher agreements or they think that they own the song when actually it was a collaborative co-write in the studio in 1968 and so this company has to make sure all that stuff is taken care of but all that to say that we've got several handfuls of taxi members that are probably making five to fifty thousand dollars a year from music that they recorded back in the 40s 50s 60s 70s whatever wow. Uh, we had one gentleman who was in his 90s that had music. He recorded original music, and he owned the masters from the mid-1940s. And wow. the company got him placement after placement in big Hollywood movies. And one day I called the old gentleman up, and I said, look, I just want to let you know, all of us at Taxi could not be happier that here you are in your golden years, and, and people are getting to hear your music and you're making money rather than worrying about living off of social security and having a fixed income. I can just tell from the kinds of placements you're getting, you're probably making another 20 to 50 grand a year. And he started cursing at me. Turns out he was a sailor in World War II, so he knew how to curse like a sailor. And he's like, <laughs> listen to me, young man. He was a little hard of hearing. Listen to me, young man. Uh, it's not about the effing money. It's about the fact that my entire life I've wanted nothing 
more than for millions of people to hear my music, and now they are because of what you and that publisher have done. I literally was wiping tears from my eyes, had to get up, shut the door to my office. Sadly, he died about three years ago, but his family actually called us and called the publisher just to say, you made the last part of his life worth living. And so, yeah, for those of you who are older and have stuff that you recorded, uh, even if it was done like on a, a Fostex eight track cassette machine, Anything is possible. I can't guarantee that, you know, it depends if you were good with your Fostex, but they're not looking for master quality. They're not even looking for broadcast quality by today's standard. They're looking for um, broadcast quality for back then. It's all about the authenticity. It's about the, the sonic vibe, not so much that they even need hit songs. Yeah, and of course, I mean, as far as kind of an age cap or ceiling, you know, there, there's no age ceiling in songwriting, right? right? If you're if you're a great songwriter, doesn't matter how old you are. You know, some some 22 year old could sing your song, record and sing your song. Yeah, um, older people tend to write stuff that sounds dated melodically and stuff. But yet, a lot of times we hear stuff and go, okay, it sounds a little dated, but the structure is right. The words are great. The, the melody's great. It just sounds like it, it would have been a great melody in 1987. So that's something that we try and do at the Road Rally, our convention, November 2nd through the 5th this year, um, is try and Robin Frederick's doing a thing on modernizing your music because there's a lot of really good music that's very close, but just sounds like a decade or two ago. And it's not that hard to bring it into the modern age. But anyway, we could go on and on. Let, I know that you have like a gazillion tips. Uh, and like I said, these tips aren't coming because Tony read them in a book somewhere. Uh, these are tips that Tony has learned from his experience dealing with musicians his entire adult life. So lay one on us. So, it, yeah, and I've look. I was an artist, right? In and after college, I was an artist. Then I had my own indie record label. Uh, and then it's been I don't know, 35, 36 years uh, that I'm working at Disc Makers and, and dealing with artists. And so I hear a lot from artists who, who you know, who are telling me about their frustrations, uh, their challenges, who are asking me, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I find fans? How do I make money with music, etc. And it's it's tough in in business uh, or in the music business today. And uh, now. Many of my tips and, and my experiences revolve around artists who are, you know, where, where live performing is a component of what they do. And mm -hmm. uh, so some, some of my comments kind of revolve around, around that, but I, I think there's, there's plenty there, even if you're, if you're a songwriter who doesn't perform, that there's, uh, there, there's some positive tip. Here. So my first, my first tip is treat this like a job, right? If you are serious, if you want artist success, if you're serious about quote unquote, making it in the music business, whatever that is, you have to spend hours on it. You, you've probably heard of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours to achieve a certain level of proficiency. That's just your instrument, right? right. That's not getting to, you know, uh, uh, to, to building a career that's driving income for you. And at the start, you have a day job and 
that takes at least 40 hours. And you're going to have to treat this like another job. You're going to have to spend some, some real necessary hours on it. And if you treat, so my, my take on it is if you treat your music like a hobby, it will always be. Remember where that came from? That was my dad's famous quote. Uh, if you treat it like a hobby, it'll pay you like one. I've been repeating that is, is one that my dad and I didn't necessarily have a warm and cozy relationship, but he did give me a lot of great business advice. And that was one of them. Treat it like a yeah, hobby. I'm not sure I heard that one. I, I, I think I came up with it myself, but uh, or I'm maybe not, we have I'm the same dad. I'm the only one who's ever said that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, people treat treat music. Put it this way. Everybody knows that if you want to play on the PGA Tour, uh, you I love to golf. Um, I don't play much lately. When Ralph Murphy was alive, I'd play a few days a year with him. And that was about it. But I had no um, illusions of, of joining the PGA Tour. Uh, you have to go out there and beat Tiger Woods and hit balls for eight hours on the range and, and squeeze in at least one round every day and do that for years and years and years. But musicians think that just, you know, playing tabs on their guitar in the bedroom for years qualifies them to be a successful artist. But it's the whole thing you have to pursue, not just the fingers. So, you know, I was at the at the CD Baby Music Conference years ago, and I was doing some kind of presentation. Um, and uh, there was, there was some, no, there was, I don't know. I, there was a guy doing a presentation and he was talking about, um, you know, how long do you want to do this? Because everybody there, just like probably people here are like, you know, how, how do I make it? How do I make it? What do we got to do to make it? How fast do I make it? Right? <laughs> it's moving too slow. And this guy said, raise your hand if you want to do music for the rest of your life. And, you know, 85% of the hands that in the audience went up. And he's like, then why are you in such a damn hurry? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's actually my second point that if you want music success, you have to prepare to play the long game. This is not, you know, shows like American Idol have done a big disservice because yeah. artists think I'm going to get on the show and then bam, I'm at the top. And I think the same thing, TikTok and social virality is kind of the same way where people see artists going viral on TikTok, except what they don't. And they're like, oh, it's happening all the time. Okay. How many artists go viral on TikTok a year? 20, 50, 100? Do you know how many artists there are trying to make it? Right? That that 20 or 100, you know, that's probably 100th of a percent of the artists who want to make it, if not less. And and it's probably I don't know, you know, a tiny fraction of a percent of the artists who are actually making a living doing music. And you know, music success for most of us, for most artists, takes years. You you gradually build, right? You learn, you practice, you release music, and you gradually build on whatever you've done before. And it takes, it just takes, takes time. And, you know, you have to, you have to 
for, to have a shot at success, you need to generate income to live, right? If you want to play this long game, you do need to have some source of income. You can't just be homeless and, 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 and do music full time. Uh, you have to, you have to record, you have to rehearse, you have to tour maybe and keep your career, you know, progressing on an upward trajectory. And so until that time that you can actually make a living from your money, you need some kind of day job to go along with your musical activities and to help you, you know, support yourself financially. Yeah. Um, so, well, go ahead. You know, and related, and I guess this is another tip, and this is a thing that many artists don't like to hear, but you need to invest money before you get to make money. Uh, you know, and, and as an artist, and, you know, look, just in my business alone, right, when I started in this business at This Makers in 1987, but the cost, the cost of entry into the music business, if I'm an independent artist, which I wasn't at the time, I'm an ind independent artist and I want to have any shot at pe people hearing my music, forgetting about the recording cost, just the cost of getting my music to market was a minimum of $3,000 because you had to buy a thousand records at $3 a record back in the day and it was $3,000. Today, for $29 on DistroKid, you can upload as much music, unlimited amounts of music. So the cost of many, the cost of recordings have come way down, right? Um, so artists frequently are unwilling or hesitant to invest money. But, you know, if I draw an analogy to business, right, when a new company launches, they typically spend tons of money up front, right? They're hiring people, they're doing R&D, they're renting space, they're buying inventory, they're spending on marketing and ad campaigns before they start seeing revenue, let alone profit. And it's it's the same same way with you as an artist. You need to you need to rehearse, you need to record, you need to buy music, uh, buy instruments, you need to, you know. Well, nobody's got a problem buying instruments. <laughs> That's where musicians okay. will spend money. I'm certain they will that. spend there. They will spend there. <laughs> Yeah, um, um, but 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 spending money, spending money is 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 really you need to do that if you want to if you want to get anywhere. And as a as a related point, you know, most artists, if you're an artist who wants to who's interested in performing and building a big fan base, you need to spend money on marketing and promotion because um, it costs money to get fans to know you. And I want to read you something about that. You know, you know Rob Shirelli, right? I'm not sure I do. Uh, he's my best friend that I produced him when he was like 19 or 20 years old. He was living in Boston. He would come to New York. He would take his drum kit and uh guitar and a bass, load it all on People Express, go to Newark Airport, get on a bus, go into Manhattan, and push his drum kit in cases and his guitars all the way across Midtown to the studio I worked at to work with me at night. And then a couple days a week, I would fly to Boston and work at the Cars studio. Uh, it was called Synchro Sound with him. Anyway, we, we became great friends, and we've been friends for like 
close to 40 years now. Anyway, um, he's got five Grammys, 100 plus gold and platinum records. With, I mean, like Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, Madonna, that level of people. And uh, he and I were talking about this the other night. We had, sometimes we can go three months. We live four houses from each other. We can go three months and not have a conversation. We had a two hour one on like Friday night. And um, one of the things that we talked about was Distro Kid, CD Baby, all these uh, Apple Music, all these ways to distribute your music. Spotify. I have several music attorneys that are good friends of mine. I have publishers that are very close friends of mine. All these very smart people, and nobody has ever been able to explain all the different ways that you collect money as a musician now by putting your music out online. I've read books about it. I've had people draw me like flowcharts of it. I can't grasp it and I'm reasonably intelligent, you know, I mean, I've got a college education. I'm not a, a dum-dum, but it, it's just really hard to understand. So Shirelli went through the same thing um, and, and he's definitely smarter than I am. And I'm looking now so I can read you what they're doing. Oh. On Saturday, November 4th, at the rally, they're doing a thing called The Truth About Marketing, Promotion, Social Media, and Money. If you're a songwriter, producer, independent artist, or licensing music for sync, this is not to be missed. Join Ron Harris, Rob Shirelli, and two very special guests, uh, music industry legend Jay King and Street Lamp Records executive Aaron Overton for what promises to be a very comprehensive class on marketing, Spotify, digital distribution, curated playlist, streaming, and all the tools at your disposal. Um, they'll also be- Is that a two-day two session? Because there's a lot to discuss there and all those topics. I know, and it's an hour. He actually asked me to trade it out with another thing that he was doing. I said, this is only give you an hour, but hold on, there's more. Uh, they'll also be discussing money collection royalties, uh, MLC, sound exchange, PROs, neighboring rights, content ID, HFA, rights flow, and more. Like, I don't even know what all those, like if you recorded the song on a Tuesday and your aunt's name was Betty, but she's dead now, but she played ukulele, um, then you collect a quarter of a cent from this place. Now, if your uncle Bob was also in the band, but he didn't sing or play ukulele, then you get a tenth of a cent and you collect that from over. It's just like mind blowing. Well, uh, there are there are indeed a, a ton of ways in this digital music space that you can make money, but they're all micro payments, right? They're all yeah. fractions, of course. fractions of sound recording, publishing, neighboring rights, pro pub, uh, performance rights, sync and micro sync, um, you know, and, and, and on and on. I mean, there, there, there's, there's money that comes in, um, but it's, it's not simple. There's not some distributors like CD Baby have tried to, you know, build one dashboard where most of the stream, most of the royalty streams can come in, YouTube publishing, sound recording, sync. Um, I think they have something that they're doing now with public performance or with neighboring rights, with sound exchange, but it's it's complicated. It's a lot of work and the dollars are tiny, right? The dollars are tiny. When 
one reason why I still have a large and successful business is because you as an artist can sell one CD for $10 at a concert and and make nine bucks on it. you a dollar or two. Let's say it costs you $2. You make with one fan, you make $8 in profit, right? Right. Uh, to make that $8 in streaming profits from sound recordings, you need 2,300 streams or something like that. Uh, that's a lot of streams. Yeah. That's a lot of streams. So uh, it's, it's, it's really hard. Look, the music business was always hard, right? Back in the day when I was playing, I could spend $3,000 and get records pressed, but no distributor would take it because, you know, I was playing in a regional punk band. And so we would, we would hit the road. There would be some local record stores that would carry our stuff. Uh, but we would hit the road and sell them out of our van, right? And, and um, distribution was hard back then because the distributors, and it's the same way basically today with physical distribution, they don't really want to carry your stuff if, it, if it's not proven that there's demand for it and it's going to move, right? right? They're not in the business of warehousing your product. They're in the business of moving your product. Um, and... So that was hard back then, getting the distribution. Today, getting distribution is easy, but getting noticed is hard because there's, I don't know, depending on which article you believe, there's somewhere between 30 and 60,000 songs released every day. Every day. Yeah. So, but you know, so let's, let's, move on. let's move on a little bit here with what we're talking about. Yeah, give me so, another tip. So. One tip, I don't know that I'd call it a tip. I, I think this is more about understanding, right? To build a fan base, like you have to, you have to have kind of a funnel or you have to think about it as a funnel, right? Not every fan is created the same. And you will recognize this funnel, right? I mean, w when you start out as an artist, People don't know you. And so there are four stages to this funnel. The first stage is awareness, right? If you top of top of the fandom funnel, your very first goal is to make people who don't know you aware of your music and make them aware by extension of you, that you exist as an artist, right? I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world. The vast majority of them don't know you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you. so in order to create a fan base, in order to gain a fan, you must first create awareness. So how do you do that? Right. How do you get people who don't know you to know you? I mean, there's, there's plenty of ways, right? But I, I've always felt one of the best ways is by performing. If you're, if you're an up and coming artist, right. And you can get a, a gig as an opening act on a bill with a bigger artist, then you're exposed to that artist's fan base and bam awareness created but you know you could you could pick up a guitar and start busking on a street corner that creates awareness right you can release music digitally and you know hope that you get your track on a spotify on a large curated spotify place not that that's very likely to happen but it could happen it's happened um right you can put an album out that's so great that reviewers will write about it but the the idea is you have to go from anonymous to, oh, I've heard of this person. And then the second step of that funnel, 
of the fandom funnel, as I call it, is consideration, right? During the consideration phase, the music fan who has heard you considers whether they like you or not, right? And they, and, and they, they show it by making a small commitment. Right. So what is a small commitment then, right? Well, maybe they follow you on Spotify. They subscribe to your YouTube. They follow you on Instagram. It's really tiny. It's not time consuming, but this is a person who heard you and thought, hmm, kind of cool. I might like to hear more. And so like they marking a, a page on your browser. Yeah. So yeah, they make a small, they have a small commitment. They make a small investment in following you somewhere or, or, or maybe even signing up for your mailing list when they have the concert. So then stage three of the fandom funnel is conversion, what they call conversion, right? This is where that fan who's been considering you decides, yes, I like this artist. And we're in a perfect world. They'll actually spend some money on you. They'll, they'll buy a concert ticket. They'll buy a CD off your Bandcamp page or a t-shirt at a concert, uh, or they buy your record on Record Store Day. And so, so that's, that's really, I think, the, the start of a real fan who can be a sustaining fan for your music career. If, they, if they've spent, if they've demonstrated their fandom by spending money. Um, because if you want a music career, you have to make money somehow. That could be from taxi placements. It could be from selling concert tickets, right? Um, and so, so that's that's stage three. And then stage four of the fandom funnel is retention. You may have heard the saying, right? The person who's most likely to buy something from you, whether you're a store or a car dealer. The person who's most likely to buy something from you is somebody who's bought from you before. And that is really super true with music, right? If you're a fan of an artist and that artist has new music, they have new merch, they're in town again on the tour, you will spend on them again. And the most likely person who's going to spend money on you as an artist is somebody who's already been converted to a fan they've already spent money and so the retention phase is critical because that's where you maximize the lifetime value of a music fan right the lifetime values how much money are they going to spend on your music on your concert tickets etc over their lifetime of being a fan and it may and not be linear Something we've discovered with lifetime value of a taxi member is it's very unlinear, meaning that somebody could be a member for nine months and give up because they don't get any forwards. Some people will even ask for a refund, even though they're technically not entitled to one just because they're not being successful with taxi. But they, you know, they, they wave goodbye. They go home either pissed off or with their tail between their leg. And then two years later, they re-up again and they do it for a year and they get a couple of forwards because maybe in the interim, they were checking out advice from their fellow members on the forum or their egos were tamed a little bit, whatever the circumstance is. 
and they come back, they have a little more success, but then life gets in the way. They had a job change. They moved to a different city. The kids are going to college. Whatever got in the way of their music got in the way, so they drop out again for two or three years. Then they come back again, and that's why some people say to me, look at the age of the people at the Taxi Road Rally. There are a surprising number of middle-aged and senior people, and I've yeah. figured out that the reason is because they now have all those life changes pretty much behind them and it's a clear path to producing their music again and once they come back in their 40s 50s or 60s then the the longevity kicks in and they can pursue it because they've got the time they've got the money and they don't have life getting in the way speaking and about it's, it's 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 perhaps you know even more extreme for your music fans because they've got life going and you know getting in the way and if they you know if you're if you're performing live and you're coming through town and you know they have another commitment that night or they it's too late because they have to put the kids to bed and they're working a 7 a.m shift the next morning you know they may not buy for a while and then and then at some point they may buy again you know look this is the retention strategy is something that as an artist you actually have to deliberately work look we've i've had it right i look through when i'm looking through my cd or my record collection or just scrolling through my spotify artist feed i'm like oh right you have artists that you like forgot about that you liked yeah. 10 years ago 20 years ago i'm like oh yeah they were good right as an artist as a songwriter certainly but more as an artist, you don't want that to happen to your fans. Yeah. Right? You you need to retain mind share with your fans. And so uh, how do you do that, right? Well, I, I found there's a, there's a number of ways. The top four are email them, right? I know, Michael, you're a big, big fan of email. I'm a big fan of email. It's proven email is the best medium to drive revenue when you have product to sell. Kick social but, but media's email, butt. And, and email and email is not just about revenue, right? right. Uh, email, when you write an email, you want it to be interesting. You want it to be entertaining. When I write uh, emails for disc makers, I, I hope to, you know, and when we do our newsletter, it's about, uh, I hope that we add some value, that there's something of value in there that when you read it and so you as an artist as a songwriter if you email your list it shouldn't be buy my record buy my t-shirt buy my this buy my that there should be something something interesting little tidbits but what are you doing right what do you have new music where are you touring what happened during rehearsal whatever so email is one number two you have to release music nowadays multiple times a year right with the way these algorithmic feeds uh, and, and, and recommendation and playlists work on all the streaming platforms. If somebody has followed you on Spotify and you have new music, it will show up in their release radar playlist. Uh, and, and that's, believe it or not, releasing music today is, is a way to remind people that, that you're out, you're out there and you're still creating and putting out music. Number three, I think performing. Right? If you're out there playing, it's hard for people to forget about you. And number four is you do have to have a regular social media presence. But I have that as number four out of four because social algorithms today 
four out of five of people who follow you on social never see one of your organic posts. Never. Right. Uh, so you have to be out there, um, but by itself, it's not enough to retain fan mindship. But, you know, email, being active on socials, releasing new music multiple times a year, and, you know, and performing, I think those all taken together will prevent pre prevent people from falling out of your fandom funnel, funnel right? They I will, want to talk will, about um, what you just mentioned about, oh, I lost it. Uh, oh, uh, keeping in touch with them on a regular basis, what, no matter what the medium is, if I were an artist today, I mean, nobody wants to sell an email, buy my this or that, you know, five times a week. Uh, yeah. But they got to know you because of your music. So I would write sketches of songs and put two of those out a week and ask my people that are either on my socials or my email list, is this one worth finishing? And finishing is the operative word. I've noticed a pattern with not just musicians, but all creative types. Um, they don't like to finish stuff because once you finish it, then it can be critiqued or criticized. So if you don't finish it, you could say, you know, I've got this really good song I'm working on, gotta finish that. And they never do because they don't want people to go, eh, not so good. So if that is a, an obstacle for you as an artist, then take stuff that's not finished. Um, take a song uh, that's in its roughest form and put it out there and say to your fan base who is paying attention to you because of your music, what do you guys think? Is this one worth me spending 50 or 100 hours on to, to finish it? That way you get them involved in the process, they feel some ownership, and you don't have to spend 100 hours finishing something to put it out there and get meh, you know? No, I love that. Uh, you look, the, the, this is something you want, ideally, you want to not just add value with your communications, whether it's email or social, you want it to be interesting. You want it to be entertaining, you want it to be interesting. And if I'm a fan of an artist, and I see this sometimes where where artists or regularly where artists they'll be in the studio and they'll just you know something will be playing over the monitors and they'll 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 do a little video snippet and you can hear it right, right. I, I think that's cool because you get like a little snippet of what's one of the songs that they're working on it's it's interesting it's engaging and I, I, yours takes it to the next level which is basically you know uh, involvement yeah right you get to help shape the path I'm gonna take because you're the most and, important and that, aspect that gets you real buy-in from your from your fans from your followers yeah all right next one yeah this is an obvious one i hear a dog be, be professional that's my dog <laughs> i don't know if you can see my dog charlie hey charlie yeah <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's a loud breather <laughs> he speaks so, very highly of you uh be, 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 be professional, um, right? And that's that's an obvious one. Um, particularly, you know, be on time. I, I mean, I don't I don't need to really dwell on being professional. But with a lot of artists, you know, either they're undisciplined or you know they're too cool for school, and 
they think they can act like jerks and it'll, it'll all be okay. And for some of them, it may be okay if they're really, really good, but most of the time, people don't want to deal with you if you're not professional. Agreed. Um, speaking of being jerks, don't take the assholes personally. There's going to be jerks that you deal with. You're going to get ignored. People are going to be rude to you. It's part of life. It, it, in the it, jerks are not, you know, the sole domain of the music industry. There's jerks everywhere, right? And uh, you, you don't take it personally. You may not like them, but if you need them now, or you need you may need them later, you got to figure out. You know, if it's a booking agent, a promoter, what have you, you got to figure out how to work with them, right? Um, Figure out the best way you can, what makes them tick, or what do they need, and then as best as possible, try to give that to them, right? Give, offer value. Um, Not everybody in life is going to be nice. And it doesn't mean that you can't do business together. This is a business, ultimately. And I've dealt in business with plenty of people who I wouldn't want to hang out with, but we've been able to do business just personal. You're just, just perfectly fine. Somebody's dropping boxes on the other side of the wall from where I sit. We got dogs, we got movers. Um, yeah, you know what? I take that stuff too personally because I'm so invested in the company. And if I have a personality trait that I wish that I could jettison, it would be to have thicker skin when it comes to jerks. And everybody around me says, don't worry about it, Michael. I look at it as, I was once on LinkedIn in a live chat thing on LinkedIn where somebody was bashing taxi and they were just telling outright lies. It wasn't their opinion like, well, it didn't work for me because they look for types of music that I don't make. So it wasn't fruitful. They were flat out lying. Taxi tells you they don't take a percentage and they do and just one lie after another. So I sat there until like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning answering every one of these. And my wife came downstairs, walked in the kitchen, just shook her head and just went and walked back out of the room. Meanwhile, a really big publisher from the um, production music library world happened to be in the peanut gallery watching this thing and sent me a message, a PM on LinkedIn saying, I sat there for hours fascinated by how you defend your company. Anybody who cares that much about their company that they'll stay up that late defending it, I want to do business with. So I got a client out of it that's been a client ever since. So on one hand, my wife is probably right. On the other hand, there's a benefit in in taking that extra measure. But you're right, they're always a-holes. In in every aspect of your world, they're gonna be a-holes. I hate to say it, but we may even have a client or two who's an a-hole. Still got to deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Customer's always so, right. Uh, the customer's uh, always right. Yeah. We, we try so hard to live up to that standard. Some people just make it really hard to find an agreeable resolution. You can't have, you can't reason with unreasonable people. Some people are just a little off, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Give us another one. All right, this one, this one may sound a little gratuitous, and it maybe is a little gratuitous, but 
it's it's not as gratuitous as you might think and that is make awesome physical product okay and 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 part of part of it is you need physical product to make money but the the operative word is awesome right i mean fans love a connection with the artist that they get from owning a piece of physical product whether it's a cd or a vinyl or a t-shirt or a hoodie and and uh you know it's essential to your survival as an artist but it's got to be awesome right it's got the design has to be great uh i mean i've seen i've seen some bad album covers i bet you have <laughs> do you guys uh, have a like wall I've, of I've bad heard, album covers <laughs> i've heard some bad recordings i have heard some you know some people who can't sing in tune to save their life and it's hard to really move product when it's like that yeah you know your product has to be so awesome it has to be so cool that let's say you're at you have a t-shirt at a merch booth that somebody who sees it has to they have to covet it they have to want to have it i have bought i've been at teach at at concerts where I saw an opening act who I didn't know, and I bought their T-shirt not because so I was a fan of that band. Though if they're horrible, I wouldn't have bought it. But they were fine enough. But their T-shirt was so cool that I thought I'll happily wear this. Um, so, so you have to, you know, a lot of this is if you want to, if you want to have a career in music, you have to have things and offer value to your fan base right one of the things that i think is a, is a huge missed opportunity is live performances right so many artists think that preparing for a concert just means i know how to play all the songs perfectly but I don't want to, when I go to a concert, when I invest 20 or 50 or nowadays a hundred or $300 on StubHub in a concert ticket, I don't want to just see you play the music that I know how it sounds. I want to see a show, right? Mm -hmm. Your live performances need to be rehearsed, not just the music, but the whole stage appearance, the, the stage banter, the, your interaction with your bandmates, how you play to the audience. Um, there's this guy, Tom Jackson. You know Tom Jackson. Michael? No. no. He's a live performance coach, and he's performed, he's coached the big artists. And I've seen some of the work that this guy does with artists, you know, guitarists your guitar walks walks forward to the front of the stage you know for his guitar solo and the other members receive back and then you know they the the singer comes over and it's all it's all it looks spontaneous and it's all rehearsed right um but it's all part of of the visuals that you know your concerts are not just for the year right um your goal at a concert if you're an opening act, should be to blow the headliners away. And when you are the headliner, you know, your goal should be to blow the audience's mind. Um, so 
I think I think it's a huge missed opportunity, and particularly if you're if you're an up and coming artist, that you know a, a really well rehearsed stage presence is is a big deal. Were you at the Road Rally about probably eight or nine years ago? Uh, I think it was Stephen Memel was doing a thing on, on toning up your stage performance. And he asked me, he said, get me somebody who, who is talented on a musical level, but pretty boring on a performance level. And there was an act, a uh, taxi band that we were falling in love with. Everybody in staff loved him, named Mike and Ruthie, doing uh, kind of Americana folky pop. And really talented. Their songs were great. Their performance, as far as their vocals and their playing and their production, everything was spot on. And I watched a video of them on YouTube and I went, you know, they're just standing in front of that microphone. They might as well be shoegazing. I mean, it was yeah. not anywhere on the level their music was. So I invited them. I told them why they were being picked and they were cool with it. He got them up on stage. He said, okay, what I want you to do is dance around like this, embarrass yourself doing strange movements in front of a thousand people in this ballroom you would never do in a million years. And they did it for like three minutes and it looked really goofy. I was very embarrassed for them. And then he said, all right, now let's work on your performance for your music. And within five minutes, he literally changed their entire thing in five minutes, just because yeah. they had never thought about it. It was all doable. Yeah. And the exercise of being goofy on stage was just to get them out of their own heads a little bit. And that everything he was gonna teach them after that was far less embarrassing. Yeah. It was. It came out so good. That was on a Saturday at the yeah. road rally. On Monday after the road rally, we'd all worked until you know like ten o'clock Sunday night. We were exhausted. The whole staff and I went out to see them at a live show. They happened to be playing in L.A., and they blew the doors off the place. So I completely concur with you that yeah. what a difference. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, I've seen Tom Jackson do a, do a similar thing live on stage, and it's amazing. He will like actually in real time with a band like rearrange some of the songs wow uh, to to like bring out like the tension or or and look we you know again right when when i go to a concert and i see an artist i know and they've created a medley or they've they've changed some things around that's just part of the experience right i, I don't need to hear every song the same way that i can hear it in the car when I'm listening on spot, listening on it to on Spotify. Um, so yes, live, live rehearsing and working on your live live stage visuals. Yeah. So here's another one. Okay, if you're in, if you're in a band, here's here's one, and I know not everybody's in a band, but this is a biggie that many artists are afraid to deal with. Toxic bandmates don't tolerate toxic bandmates or other toxic teammates. Uh, we've dealt with it, I'm sure, Michael, you've dealt with it. I've dealt with it at work. We tend to tolerate talented but toxic teammates. And it always it always ends up going badly. Um, you know, you're as an artist climbing this career ladder takes all the energy you got. And you don't need anybody draining that energy with their negativity certainly not not somebody in the band yeah 
uh, I can think of some past employees that um, were really smart and really good at doing their taxi tasks. They were reliable and fast and brought something to the table, but their level of toxicity was such that it was destroying the company around them. Literally, the other people hated working with them, but yep. didn't want to tell me until it was too late. It's kind of like a marriage that's been spiraling downward for 15 years. And any marriage counselor or uh, you know psychologist will tell you, most people, by the time they get to marriage counseling, it's too late to, to save the marriage. Um, same thing could be said for toxic employees. And I've been guilty of that because when you get somebody that does the tasks really well, and those are hard to find, you might have to go through two or three or four people till you land on somebody who you go, finally, we got a winner. And then you'd find out six months later, yeah, but that winner is costing the the the, the heart of the company, the mental um, stability of their coworkers, everything goes to hell. So yeah. because of one toxic person, a bad apple will spoil the bunch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. And it's even it's even worse you know, when you work with a small team as a band or, you know, you have a manager. Yeah. In a right? van it's going three, to four, gigs five, with them. Yeah. And one of them is toxic. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Did you see J Daisy one. Jones in the six? Uh -uh. Oh, you're kidding. I think it was on Apple Plus, maybe HBO Max. I'm not sure. You've got to watch it. You will love every minute of it. It starts out a little slow, as many of these limited, you know, six episode series do. Uh, but it's basically kind of like a little bit based on the Fleetwood Mac while they were, um, when they brought Lindsay and, and Stevie on board. It's not really a copy of that, but there's some elements. You go, wow, this is very Fleetwood Mac-ish. Daisy Jones and the Six, you will not, uh, you'll be up till four in the morning trying to binge the whole thing. <laughs> but that that's a classic example of a, a local band that was the hot local band, but they just couldn't break out of the local thing because they were missing that key element. And uh, they meet this young girl who's talented, but she's a, a rebel and they bring her into the band and the toxicity that happens between the guy who founded the band and leads it and this girl who makes the band grow and become famous is epic. And the whole time, any of us who are in the music industry go, yep, seen that like 50 times. <laughs> that was a good one. All right, next up. How long are we going? Uh, we got another half hour, 28 minutes oh, actually. we got another half hour. Yeah. All right. Um, how about this one? Ask for what you want. I, I see, you know, most of the opportunities I think that, that are left on the table are because you weren't clear on what you wanted and you didn't ask for what you want, right? If you're at a concert, if you're performing live on stage and you want people to buy your merch, ask, right? Be on right. stage and say, hey, we got merch. We got brand new t-shirts or we got CDs at our merch table in the back. I'll be there autographing after the fact. Say hi to Bob back at the merch table. Bob waves to the audience. A little connection is made. They feel comfortable talking about, yeah, all that. If there's a songwriter that you respect in your town and you'd love to co-write with them, ask. If you don't ask, they don't know, right? They can't read your mind. 
if you need something from your bandmates or from a producer or from a booking agent, ask. Yes, be polite, of course, always, um, but always, but always ask. Um, so, so that's one. Um, I learned that lesson. You know what? Remember when you and I met in Chicago one time and we did a joint seminar together? Yes. Well, a long time ago, probably like 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> boy, are we old. And uh, I never used to bring anybody from the staff and even attempt to sell memberships because I thought it was in bad taste to try and sell people something at, at a, an event where I'm trying to educate them. And I happened to be going to Minneapolis for a, a, a meeting regarding taxi and borders books. Uh, we got them to do an end cap display of indie artists from taxi. And Doug Minnick, our vice president at the time, went with me. And I said, you know, as long as we're going, let's do a taxi seminar. It was the only time I ever had a, a second person in the room. And I had him stand at the back of the table with join forums for taxi and I said by the way if you want to join I'll give you a discount tonight go see Doug in the back of the room when we wrap this thing up and then maybe we'll go have a beer at the bar later on we sold three thousand dollars worth of memberships in about 15 minutes and I thought to myself wow his plane ticket and hotel cost me about five or six hundred dollars so you know but I never did it again because it was just too clunky to have a second person but I was an idiot for not following your advice yeah <laughs> There's, look, it's, everything in life is a negotiation, right? I, I tended to uh, think about asking for what you want. If you don't ask for enough, you're leaving opportunities on the table. I, I, I attended a, a negotiating seminar once, and I'm a little off topic here, but this woman was like a negotiating expert, um, big contracts, big corporate deals. She said, it is a fact that people leave the most on the table simply by not asking for enough. So now why, you gotta- Why you gotta don't be, they ask? Because it's scary to ask. Because you're you gonna think? be perceived as a bad person for trying to uh, sell yeah, something? Yeah, as pushy or as, crazy that what that's what they asked for they're crazy uh right this this uaw uh negotiation now is a really interesting uh case point from from real life today right what are their two big asks 40 percent pay raise for their staff over the next four years and a 32 hour work week at 40 hours of pay now, you know, going in that it's not going to happen, but boy, that sets the bar up here. I mean, it, it's, I'm watching this with a lot of interest because I think from a, from a negotiating tactic perspective, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see what's, what's happening. I think Chrysler, Stellantis, which I, when did they become Stellantis? I, I don't know. I'm, I've never um, heard that word. Wow. Exactly. I hadn't either until this came up. There's no more Chrysler. Evidently, it's Stellantis. They they came across their first counter was 21% increase. 21% increase. Not bad. Over 5% a year. Um, yeah, that got shot down. So they're by by making a big ass. They're they're gonna 
come up with, I think, a you know, probably a big increase. They're, they're not going to get everything they want, but it's it's really interesting um, to see that. So um, wow. Um really they want a 32 hour work week but get paid for 40 what what happened to like the america that existed shortly after or immediately after world war 2 you know like we're all in this together we're all americans and i i, I don't know if i wanted to live in france i would that, move that america is long gone because uh, we we did not just emerge from a world war right um and you know we're that was Michael, that was 80 years ago brother i know um <laughs> you you would hope things would improve over time rather than not improving i guess in some many, regards we have but many things many things have improved right standards of living in general have improved uh you know equality in many ways has improved there's there's been lots of improvement but we're off topic here. Let's yeah. stick to music because not everybody agrees on these kind of topics. So, you know, when we talk about kind of music longevity, the music business is a tough business, right? There's a lot of rejection in the music business. Um, I have the feeling that you may deal with the occasional client who's not that happy at a rejection. Um, there's if all you focus on is 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 the grind, you're not going to last. And so, you have to you have to take time to celebrate the wins, right? Take whether it's uh, another milestone, or you got a taxi placement, or you know you played a sold out show. You know this is a it's not just all about the destination. This is a journey, and you have to. Just like when you're on a car ride, right? If you can look around at the landscape and enjoy the ride, you're much, the whole thing becomes much more tolerable and pleasurable. And, and so um, I see artists who take it, they take it all so seriously. And, and I hear so many, so I hear from so many disheartened, disillusioned, disappointed artists. And I'm like, but, but yeah, you, you haven't, you know, sold out the stadium yet but look at where you are today compared to where you were at last year or two years ago right uh so you gotta you, you gotta take some time to be appreciative take a breath and uh you know recognize that the little successes that you have and maybe big successes along the way i could use some improvement in that area i i'm not i could do <laughs> I I'm not too. the I'm not the journey guy. I'm always you know shooting at a target, reaching for a goal, and uh, will just grind and grind and grind until I do it. I rarely fail because I'm willing to put in the hours and do the hard work. And when I fail, I go well. I tried my best and I failed, so I don't carry that around. But I wish that I could just take time to smell the roses a little more. <laughs> yeah. And celebrating, celebrating is hard for many of us. Um, you know, we're 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 goal oriented. I have the same thing. I you know, I probably don't celebrate enough, but it is important to recognize the journey. And look, you you are gonna have failures. You are gonna get knocked down. And and my next 
piece of advice would be when you get knocked down, get back up, dust yourself off, right? Um, you know, you're going, and we're all going to run into headwinds. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to get that gig, or we're going to play to an empty room, or, um, you, you know, you make a mistake uh, here or there. It's all right. If you're in it for the long haul, dust yourself off. Learn well, from the mistake. Well, you you're learn, saying this. You got to learn from the mistake um that you've made but gotta keep going what were you gonna say in the chat room i see jilly jillian saying two thousand dollars 25 forwards three years only one call back sounds bad on paper i sure hope you're coming to the road rally jilly because we are doing a panel that is so perfect for you uh and it will be on Saturday, 3.45 in the afternoon till 5.15. Does it feel like your music has gone into a black hole? I, I have such sympathy, empathy, I guess, for our members um, who get a lot of forwards and they don't hear back from the companies or they end up signing a deal with the music library and a year and a half later, they've not gotten one placement from that one thing being in that one library. This is going to explain it all. We've got Mason Cooper, who's a music supervisor, Pedro Costa, who owns a music library, Matt Vanderbilt, who's a very successful taxi member, and Vince Nicotina. I just added him because I was working yesterday on a Sunday, uh, working on road rally stuff, and I saw an email from one of our members, Vince Nicotina, saying how long it took for things to pop for him. And now all of a sudden he's getting great placements and things are really happening. And he says, in so many words, hey, fellow members, don't get discouraged. You're gonna fall down a lot. You're gonna have a lot of things that aren't gonna go your way. Stick with it because. So I'm very excited that we're doing, does your music feel like it's gone into a black hole? No, I, I think I think it's a great point. You know, I, I, I feel like Sometimes it seems like artists, they, they throw in the towel. It seems like right before their music is about to turn a corner and like start, start going up. Um, yep. And, and, and why? Because, because the grind wore them down, A. And B, I think it's, it's partly maybe they're 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 not prepared enough to play the long game, but also they're not really watching their metrics. And this is another piece of advice you need to have as an artist. Again, you're you're in business. You're an artist. But you're in if you want to make a living at this. You're in business, right? Yeah. Uh, and you need to you need to have an awareness of your your basic metrics. You need to look at some numbers to gauge. Am I am I treading water, or am I going forward, or God forbid, am I am I going sinking? Back? Am yeah. I, and and uh, you know, I mean, Michael, we you I know you look at the your your business owner, you look at the numbers, I look at the numbers, right? Where we look at you know leads and prospects and quotes and revenue and orders. As an artist, your metrics are different, but. You, you want to periodically look at 
how many followers, how many YouTube subscribers. Uh, you certainly want to know, you know, how many streams. You want to know, and over time, how many concert tickets am I selling, or what, how many seat venues am I playing? And and a lot of again, it, it doesn't go from from you know here to here overnight. It's all small incremental steps that just build on what you've done over time. And so so having having some basic awareness for your metrics, look at them once a quarter, right? If, if it's not your thing, once a quarter, go to your Spotify dashboard or your CD Baby or your DistroKid dashboard, look at your socials and look at how many followers you have. Uh, and, and ideally, you know, have a have a Excel sheet or something and you can kind of track it over time and you can you can see then what's what's happening and and are you moving in the right direction it all goes gradually it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight incremental improvements that was the key word incremental because we live in a world instant access to everything because of our cell phones um, which are now you know as beefy as our laptops um, fast food a huge number of tv channels streaming channels that we can watch everything is very quick uh, uh years ago before when my dad was still alive he said to me why are you so obsessed with that damn phone all of you in the room you're all holding your phones acting like it's your spouse or your best friend or something <clears throat> he wasn't wrong but if you're watching your social me other people's social media, take that time and watch your own metrics. Uh, not a day goes by. I you could literally ask me when I walk through the door of my home every night to sit down and have dinner, how much we grossed that day at taxi or how many new members we got. <clears throat> Excuse me. We we know our metrics, um, yeah. and it's almost like a game. Uh, it, it's it's not. It's only depressing when things get slow for a while, <laughs> but for the most part, it's like doing better at a video game or any game. It's like you constantly want, but there is no magic bullet. After 32 years running Taxi, yeah. I've discovered there's no, no magic bullet. No, there's no magic bullet. There's no guarantees, right? Including for, for you as a songwriter, as an artist, there are no guarantees. Um, and yes, I agree with you, Michael, that you know it gets a little depressing maybe when numbers aren't going in the right direction but and that that i'm sure that's for you as a songwriter and an artist it's the same way but you can use that in fact you should use that to take a look in the mirror and yeah figure out, what am i doing wrong right why are numbers my numbers going in the right direction why aren't my followers growing why aren't my streams growing Right? Is my songwriting not good enough? Uh, am I not managing my funnel? Right? Am I not communicating enough with my uh, with with my followers, with my list? Um, so or is it an external force like the economy, or COVID, or any other external force? The weather's been bad. You know, yeah. last three times we played a show, it rained cats and dogs because um, yeah. external forces will do it and you just have to that's when you tread water no pun intended but there are times that you tread water um, let's face it right now I, I, as 
a small business owner, several, many of my friends actually also own small businesses, whether it's a, a pizza shop or a hair salon or whatever. Or CD and, manufacturing company. Well, you're a little bigger than we are, but uh, it's so, it's depressing to hear everybody saying, yeah, things are down. It's the economy. And because we can't control the economy, it will bounce back. We all know it's cyclical. It's, it's how big is the cycle? Where's that sine wave at? So I, I don't get too depressed about it because I figure, okay, just take this time to tread water and look at other incremental improvements so that when the economy turns around and gas isn't $6 a gallon, that we've added some incremental new cool thing to taxi that new customers will enjoy. That's about all you can do. Got another one? We still have 10 more minutes. Yeah, I mean, we can take some questions, but yes, I have another one. Okay. Build build a network. Now, networking net, networking is kind of a loaded word nowadays, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, go network. Uh, what does that mean? You know, pushing my demo on, uh, you know, some industry person I meet in the elevator. This is, that's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about get to know people around you, right? Become friends, make connections in, with people in the, in the local music industry, in your local scene, with artists, with songwriters, uh, get to, you know, get to know some of the promoters or DJs and, and, and just, just build, build some friendships, some genuine, you know, it's not all about what can you do for me? What can I do for you? Just, you know, Look at you, you and me. Yeah. We were introduced by a guy named David easily 20, 25 years ago. It was back probably in the 1995, 96, 97. Uh, and frankly, when I first met Tony, I thought he was kind of a hard ass. He, he was a little reserved and I perceived him to be kind of a hard ass. And then the first time we had an actual conversation, I went, I really like this guy. He's smart. We're interested in the same things. We became better incrementally became better and better friends every year and now we've been friends for half of our lives yeah and we do business together right yeah. and 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 so so look so much in life and in music and in business and in career is serendipity is luck sometimes and you don't know with when you talk and build relationships with people around you, other songwriters, people in the music industry, you meet at the taxi road rally and you spend, you know, an hour at the bar, you know, over drinks, chatting, how at some point that person needs a songwriter or they know somebody who needs this or that. And, you know, introductions can get made, uh, you know, pe people, so much stuff gets done through introductions and connections. I'm watching that, it happen in the chat room while you're talking. People are saying, you know, I'm from Australia and I've made lifelong friends in this chat room. Exactly. Exactly. So so and then you don't you don't do that just in LA or in Madison, Wisconsin or wherever or Australia, right? You do that as you as you tour around, as you travel around you know, go to an open mic night, you know, when you're 
somewhere and and start chatting with with other musicians and then when you're done right after after whatever that event is drop them a quick text or drop me drop them a little email say hey thanks or great to meet you um because then then they have your contact info right if you drop an email or send them a text um and then and then you don't you don't need to push but if you know you'll if you've made a connection right like a real like a genuine connection you've had a conversation you've, you've had something figured out something that you have in common then something may happen in the future and you may even be able to ask them for something at some point um somebody asked i, I would like to answer this in short um where'd it go that's uh, a problem Brian, because neither you, neither you, you nor I tend to be short in our answers. I can answer this one very quickly, though, because I, yeah. Anyway, uh, question: Is there any different way to promote my music as an instrumental new age style pianist with original music using Facebook, YouTube, etc., compared to having a band with vocals? Okay, check out a guy named Peter P E D E R. Helland, H-E-L-L-A-N-D. He's from somewhere in Europe, I believe. And he has some videos that are new AG ambient stuff that have like 25 million views, 100 million views. There's one that had 300 million views. He's getting like platinum rock star attention doing wham, and doing some solo piano ambient stuff. And so, yeah, you know what? There is no magic bullet, but for your first step, look at his keywords, look at how what he's got in his notes under the video. Copy everything he's doing because he's figured out the secret sauce. But I will tell you there is not a magic bullet or utterly a secret sauce. It's several magic bullets. It's a six shooter, baby. There, relatively yeah. short. <laughs> yeah, no, you're... You're absolutely right. And and I do think that social media nowadays and TikTok um, has to be part of that mix. And I, I think you, you never, and I mean, I, I don't know what your goals are, right? I mean, sync licensing may be an option, uh, uh, but TikTok, you don't know uh, what the algorithm is going to push to the forefront at some point in time so and it'll change yeah, on a, a daily basis anyway <laughs> it's it's and look it's a it's a lottery ticket right is anything going to happen probably not but man there's a lot of people buying lottery tickets every day so you know it's worth it's worth having your your music i'm looking no more questions have come in uh we've still got four minutes folks if you want to ask another question or two so I, I think one one of one of my pieces is uh, of advice to artists is uh, don't don't sell the local connections and the local scene and the local aspects short. Like everything starts locally, right? Whether you're 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 playing in local clubs or you're writing locally with other writers. Um, those connections, those experiences form the foundation of whatever the pyramid is that, that, that you're, that you're building 
uh, you know, to create a sustainable, uh, you know, music career. And locally, the local connections are much early in an artist's career tend to be much more important than they give them credit for. You say like, ah, this is just a local person. This is just a little coffee shop, whatever uh, that I'm playing. But you're going to be playing if you're if you're if you're a performing artist, you're going to be playing in local venues around your state, around the region, around the country, and you will have to do that multiple cycles. And the people that you meet locally, they're not going to be stuck, right? You're moving up, they're moving up, right? And so the, the, a lot of the connections that you make early on that are local, at some point, they, they move up to different, different positions. Um, and, you know, they, they, could, they could be instrumental in helping you, helping you make it. Um, and that's just people in the industry. That, that's not to talk about your local followers, your local fans, the people who've been with you since, since you were, you know, just an independent artist and, and who have, to use a term I used before, you know, who have the opportunity to have the greatest lifetime value because they've been with you the longest. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to you want to love those local fans and make sure that they love you and that they that they feel appreciated, right? Engage with them in person, engage with them on your socials, answer their comments, you know, on your on your YouTube. One of the things I do, and this is this, it's not really this is more about engaging and not really about local is you know, on these on these YouTube videos that, that we post every weekend, um, I watch them. This is my my fun during the weekend is watch, read the comments on my YouTube videos and then reply and respond to them. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a great way to, you know, for me to stay in touch with yeah. uh, artists and, and, and what they're doing. Here's one last question, because uh, we're just about done. Uh, from Marion Laird, she wants to know why CD Baby has a payout level of ten dollars instead of making it a dollar, since it's by direct deposit anyway. I want, want you to know, Tony and Dismaker sold CD Baby some years ago, but you can probably still answer the question. I, I think it's just an admin thing. It's like how, you know, how many single dollar uh, wire transfers right or electronic payments are, are we going to make and and frankly you know as an artist ten dollars is not that much right, uh, right? Hey, hey, uh, there's a fee isn't there every time you do a transaction there's, well, there's a cost there's a cost for for making the payment um and but look if if there's three dollars in there or six dollars and you really need it my experience is that you ask cd baby they'll they'll pay you yeah yeah but it's just it's just a matter of right you from a company the running of the company perspective right it's it's how many of these payments are you going to make and if there's a dollar if it's a dollar, then you're going to be making a lot of micro payments, and right. it's these these. But they all have to be processed. Payment processing have to be run. It, it it's it's hours of labor. It's computing 
expands and then you know they have to be transmitted uh via ach or electronic transfer and there's a there's a fee for that as well well i want to thank you for joining us today uh, I want to thank you for having me tony van veen everybody but before i say goodbye i want to let everybody know that tony will be doing a thing for the taxi road rally sequels um, I haven't scheduled who's doing what and when, but it will either be on Monday the 6th, Tuesday the 7th, or Wednesday the 8th of November. Um, guys, I'm about maybe, to... Maybe we'll do, we'll do a three-peat. We'll do like, you know, it'll be like the recent Metallica tour where <laughs> they play every city twice and they won't repeat any of the songs. Maybe we, we can talk about different things every night, you and I. There you go. All right. Um I'm trying. I'm gonna actually start the sequels at four in the afternoon Pacific time, uh, because last year we did the sequels starting at nine a.m. and Ariana and I came at back to the office after the rally wrapped up on Sunday night. We were here till one o'clock in the morning. And we had a downbeat of live video broadcasting at nine a.m. the next day, and I said never again. Plus the fact nobody showed up during the day because people are working. So we're going to do probably three things per night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I want everybody to know that I have now finished 99% of the ballroom schedule. Angel has pretty much wrapped up the classes and the one-to-ones. I would venture to say that the ballroom schedule this year is the coolest one that I've done in recent, if not ever, memory. Uh, I'm really proud of it. And I got to tell you, is a week ago, I wouldn't have said that, to be perfectly honest. I was frustrated and angry. I just wasn't getting calls back from people. Um, things were falling into place. And like it happens every year, when you hit the six-week out mark, it all falls into place. And what resulted was me coming over yesterday, working till like 9 o'clock last night on a Sunday, the schedule is done. There's still a couple of people that haven't called back to absolutely confirm, but it's awesome. And one of the things we're doing this year that is really cool, um, this was a very late edition. I have a friend named Steve Block who's a publisher in Nashville. We're doing a thing at 5.30 on Saturday evening, just for an hour in the ballroom, called Before They Were Hits. We're going to play the actual demos of songs that became big hit records. So play the demo and then the hit. Do that for four or five really big songs. So that should just be a fun hang. Bring Amazing. So, Michael, I, I, I want to say you and your small team do an amazing job oh, with this road rally. It's, thank you. It's one of the, to me, it's, it's perhaps the best, certainly one of the best music conferences, like chock full of, practical tips. Um, I love attending. I'm sorry that I can't attend this year and in person. And um, I mean, I must have attended, I don't know, 15, 20 of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's great. I mean, my first taxi road rally, uh, I remember you had Steve Seskin up on stage. <laughs> co-writing, a live co-write. And and he was like deconstructing Beatles songs and it like blew my mind. I'm like, if I had known these songwriting <laughs> techniques when I was still a songwriting and performing artist, who knows, I might be.
making music for a living instead of selling CDs or records for a living. So uh, that's a great point because people, my staff has been calling people, you're coming to the rally. And one thing they hear from people that are not coming to the rally is, I don't think my music is ready yet. It's like, dude and dudette. That's um, why you're coming. Yes, thank you. You get it. Accelerate your progress. Right, and dramatically so. Not, you know, the road rally is not incremental. The road rally is an explosion of awesome information. The hard part is trying to get to everything you want to go to. That I will admit. Anyway, Tony Van Veen, ladies and gentlemen. Tones, great hanging out with you, man. It's every time I hang with you, I think we really need to go fishing but now we've got to wait until may of 2024 we've been known to meet each other in miami and do a day of fishing and then fly home the following day uh we got to do that 2024 may of 2024 you and i are going fishing in uh, in the keys all right sounds good thank all you right. michael and thanks to everybody who tuned in thank you for uh making the time to do this when it's nighttime for you i really appreciate it tony van veen ladies and gentlemen